0: Five, four, three,
1: two, one. Akuria de la Halle, this is Carol. Akuria Abe, this is Selena. Welcome to the Peace Cortel's Cup Podcast. Today is episode number 14, and we are so excited uh, to talk uh, with our invitee, Gladys. So, Gladys, can you please introduce yourself to our audience?
2: Everybody, um, Utsapetik. I'm Gladys Muñoz Romero. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and ella. I served in the western highlands of Guatemala from 2016 to 2018, and I lived in a small Mayan rural town, indigenous, where the primary language is Quiche. so what I just said, Utsapetik, means hello or welcome. Awesome, so you did you did get to learn a little bit Kiche I did It was an interesting experience because, as you know, in Peace Corps, you have to find the leaders of the community, so I connected with one of the teachers who's amazing and one of my really good friends, and she taught me Kiche for once a week for a few hours, but it's something I could never master, but it's pretty just a greeting
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. Uh So let's start with our interview itself. Why did you decide to join Peace Corps?
2: Um, I think it was a combination of reasons. I think the main one was my undergraduate and graduate degree are both in public health. Um, public health is a very generalist degree, but my focus was health promotion and behavioral sciences. Um, and after I finished grad school, I kind of didn't want to enter the real world <laughs> because adulting is still a new space for everybody, and I felt that, okay, I saw the job posting. So I applied in 2015, December of 2015, and I saw the job job posting of Peace Corps Guatemala, the Healthy Schools volunteer roles, and it just felt very aligned with my goals and ideals and what I've learned. So I was like, why not take a risk?
1: (laughs) Was that the only country that you chose like that specific program or did you or did you get like different choices? I don't know that application system because it wasn't my choice when I did it.
2: Yeah, totally. So you rank your choices. So the first I looked at everything that has to do with public health related health promotion specifically. And the first one that I put was Guatemala Healthy Schools. The second choice I put um, Mozambique in Africa. I think they I I mean I'm a fluent Spanish speaker, so that I was like, oh, I can learn Portuguese, whatever. And the third choice was um, Peru because that's where me and my family are from, and I've been there. I grew up there for a portion of my life, but I just did it as a convenience for my parents, as they are immigrants, and they were not the most supportive in me doing this. Yeah.
1: yeah my mom was so thrilled she was like yeah go and live your life and my dad I just remember it like because they live here in Colombia and at the time I was in DC so I did like a conference call and I was like so I'm doing this and I'm going to Madagascar and all I remember was my dad sitting on the couch he just looked at me like I don't agree with this decision (laughs) and that's the only thing that he told me about it like he never ever mentioned anything else so, yeah, I kind of kind of really with some parents not being too supportive, I guess. So when you were getting ready to go to Guatemala, uh, do you have like a packing strategy or did you have one item that you were like, OK, I really need to take this and this is going to make my life easier when I get when I get there?
2: So when I looked at the packing list, um, because of our job description, I was like, OK, I have to pack a lot of business clothes. So that is something I should have left behind. I think the one thing that helped me survive was taking photos of my loved ones because I didn't know if I was going to have internet or electricity, as we all know. So I think having those pictures saved my sanity for like, the duration of my service. Like me in high school, me and my brother, like me and my now husband. <laughs> so it was just like a nice wall of pictures that I
0: had. Mm-hmm. I know for us in Madagascar, like, we had no reason to wear them. They told us to bring some business clothes. And I just remember being like, why once I got there? Because we had like no opportunity to wear them. Everywhere you go, it's muddy, it's gross. So you like, of course, want to wear like more like active wear or something. So yeah,
2: I know. And all my business clothes got mold on it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just give it away before I leave, like I'll just wash it and give it away. It was just no use for that, maybe like a pair of slacks, you know, but I like half my one of my suitcase was business
0: clothes. Wow, I can't believe you packed like a whole suitcase of business casual clothes. What was your best memory from pre service training? um, so
2: I'm consider a bougie volunteer pre service training, and my duration of service um my pre service training we lived um. So in Peace Corps, Guatemala, our host training communities are outside Antigua. So I believe we're one of the few countries that our office isn't in the capital city. It's outside for safety reasons. My favorite memory was when my host family took me to Hot Springs with another fellow volunteer, and they drove up in the mountains. And it was literally hot springs and they made a little picnic for us. And that was just so gratifying for them to just show so much kindness.
1: Wow. So, yeah, you were a bougie.
2: (laughs) Yeah. mm -hmm. So my host dad had a car and we it was like a little Yaris. Don't know how we all fit in, but you just make it work. (laughs) And he just, yeah, it's like the hot springs now super nice and just such an affirming experience. I'm
0: like, okay, this is going to be great. (laughs) So what was your experience like in PST? What was the housing like? So pre-service training, um, I lived in a community
2: where it's known for making leather boots or anything leather related. It's called pastores and it's about a 15 minute bus ride outside of Antigua. And it was like an, like a cement house. They had running water constantly. So that was nice because their house was below a natural spring. Um, and I had the second floor to myself. (laughs) They had a terrace, like the bathroom was just remodeled because their idea was the second floor was going to be my host sister's and her husband's, um, level, you know how, but the first floor was for them and it was really great. So I had my own space and I had wifi. (laughs) So (laughs) I, yeah, I know I had wifi pre-service training and where I lived in my
0: site. (laughs) Wi-Fi. Oh my goodness. I know I
2: was that volunteer everybody all the volunteers would always come over to my my host family my training community's house and we would always just hang out upstairs and talk practice Spanish you know things like that but it was just like my house was the popping spot
1: <laughs> I would have too I mean yeah if I was in Guatemala, and serving with you I'd be like hey I'm going to Gladys's place all the time <laughs>
0: So, what was your transition like from site? You had this like amazing, bougie site at pre-service. So, what was it like once you actually got to your two-year service site?
2: Yeah. So, I think when I first got my packet of where I'm going to be living in Guatemala, you're required to live with the host family. I was originally assigned to my host sister, but then my host sister' name is Vicky. Just for clarification, and. During my swear-in and before leaving, my host sister's mom died, so then Peace Corps switched me houses to the mayor's daughter's house, which I don't think was the greatest idea, but I had to go somewhere, Um and then I lived with an indigenous Mayan family for a couple of weeks until I had a security incident, and I just needed to leave my home, Um and then I would move in with my host sister, <laughs> Vicky, so it kind of worked out as a full circle, and It kind of worked out because I requested a Catholic family, although I don't practice it or associate with that faith. It's something cultural that I understand. Um, And my host sister, it was just her in one giant like Spanish villa home. (laughs) And I had my own bathroom and bedroom. It was just her, no kids or no anything. But because her mom had just passed away, like, a few weeks ago, there was a lot of family coming and going, you know, to respect the process of mourning. And she's an only child and has no kids and is total boss babe. So in that cultural dynamic, it seems kind of odd to be left alone. So, But I was there to support her, and it kind of worked out. I was bougie once again. (laughs) Um, I had electricity... Which was kind of my nice, except when it rained really hard, then yeah, it would screw up everything. I had Wi-Fi. I had running water, but our water source was connected to a river, and it wasn't filtered properly. Therefore, the water was not the safest to drink. Or I would limit my shower type of thing. You know, you, you pick up in service, but I don't have regrets. Volunteers will come sleep over my house all the time. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's really cool that your, like, host family was okay with so many people coming over.
2: Yeah, it it definitely, it turned that way. My host sister was okay with us drinking, which is something I didn't have to, th- you know, in the States, it's, like, normal for you to bring a bottle of wine over there, have to be a little bit more mindful, but she didn't mind, like, we had, like, modelos and tacos, and with my friends, and, like, my other friends would come show, like, recipes, so she was, like, pretty open about it, and it was just, like, two women in a giant house with the ants around us, so... It was nice.
0: So were you at a rural site or were you able to, how were you able to get electricity so well? So
2: she was still somewhat rural but had all this access. So I served in the province called Quiche, which is in the western part of Guatemala. And my site is called Chinique de las Flores. And it's, if you look at a map of Guatemala in the Quiche department, I'm southeast of the department where there tends to be more electricity or more connections even though people are rural. I had internet signal when I went to one of the aldeas um, far out from my town for school. I still had signal. Um, I think there's more development, but it's still pretty rural. I think there was about 12,000 people, mostly Mayan, and then Latinos, which are not indigenous people. My host sister is Latina, just mestiza, just so everybody knows. How big was
1: your cohort?
2: Uh, My cohort is called Bakhtun 8. We were about, I would say, 40 people, 20 from healthy schools, 20 from youth and development. Um, At the end, (laughs) everybody, you know, (laughs) throughout service, some people leave, um, which is a reality. I think in my group, more than half left. That's a lot of people.
1: Yeah. From the 27 months that you live in Guatemala, can you go back and think about Three highlights of your
2: service. Totally. So I think the main one with the project was when my um, I co-organized with other teachers, the student health promoter group, um, Grupos Promesa, which is like Grupos de promoción Escolares de Salud, um, with a bunch of sixth graders and in a Mayan indigenous community. So it's already a community, but in the aldeas, like further out in the rural parts Um, And we had a student camp and it was an overnight camp and I was really interested having kids sleep over at their school. It was a day camp activity where they learned, you know, leadership skills, like team building skills, etc. But having them roast marshmallows was pretty cool. Like they already had the materials, but roasting marshmallows is something so U.S. (laughs) So teaching them that was like definitely a highlight the other highlight was when my, I say husband now, but then boyfriend, who's not my husband, visited me. He and I got the opportunity to spend some time together and show him Antigua, my site. Um, and I think one of my highlights of him visiting was that we went to Monte Rico, which is a beach in the Pacific coast of Guatemala. And he and I um, released baby sea turtles because that's where sea turtles go lay their eggs. And for ecotourism, a lot of the people there collect the eggs, you know, keep them safe, and then like for profit, like they'll sell it, you know, for fifty set, like fifty quetzales, I think, which is like less than ten bucks. Um, you get like five baby sea turtles, and then you release them off to sea at sunset. So that was like a definite highlight doing that with my spouse, uh, and then my mom visiting me. That was an interesting experience because she is an immigrant. <laughs> From Peru, um, I don't think she's ever seen volcanoes. There's a lot of volcanoes in Central America and Guatemala specifically, and she was just so like impressed by the beauty. She went to my site and she was like, "Oh, you're fine," (laughs) because I think, (laughs) because I think, because she she liked my house. She's like, "Oh, you're fine. Your your host family is great. I'm not worried. Okay, this is great." And then I went with her to visit Quetzaltenango, which is the second largest city in Guatemala which is where one of my friends lives. And my mom went to visit her house and she was just horrified because my friend has a different set of living conditions as opposed to my bougie butt. So <laughs> she, but she was just like, okay, you're safe. Like she loved it, she had a great time. So yeah. Wow,
1: that's amazing when family get to visit because they can't really see, you know, your environment and what you're doing. So I think, yeah, in my case, that's one of the high debts too. When my family came to visit,
2: that was fantastic. Oh, my God. I could just imagine them just be like, what are we doing? What do we see?" Like, it's just, it's amazing.
1: It is, yeah. Like, I would recommend anybody who is thinking about doing Peace Corps to, like, insist their families to come visit. Just because it's, it gives them, like, a different perspective, you know? Like, you can tell, you can describe, and you can talk about what you do, but until they go and see it, it's like, okay, everything is like, oh, this is why you are here. And I think it gives them either a peace of mind or they just want you to go back home. You can go either way.
2: <laughs> right, for sure. Like having those points of reference. Like I I remember being called licenciada, which I thought was really weird cuz that cuz I was like, why are they calling me that? And then my mom's like, "Oh, that's how it is in certain parts of Latin America where people call you licenciada that are respect, you know?" But I'm like, that just sounds weird.
1: Yeah, I was very confused at the beginning. I was like, I don't know what you mean by licencia. I don't have one licencia in anything specific other than my driver's license.
2: (laughs) No, that's fair. Yeah, there's a lot of definitely a lot of cultural moments for sure.
1: Is there any specific time where you had a moment that you were like WTF? Like, what did just happen to me or something around you? Or, you know, like something that was just like, so mind-blowing that you just couldn't put together, I guess.
2: There was definitely a couple WTF moments because we encountered that throughout service, but I think the biggest one is an adventure that I experienced with my friends where we were stranded in the eastern part of Guatemala for over 24 hours. So to preface this, we originally planned to go on vacation a group of women of color in our cohort, to go to Livingston, Guatemala, which is an ethnic group where a lot of Garifunas live. Um, And we were like, okay, from our site, it's about 12 plus hours. So we can't, and to get to Livingston, you have to drive from Guatemala City to Puerto Barrios, which is a port, and then take a lancha or a boat to Livingston. So that's like a commitment. So we had planned this out. We were ready to go. We hired a private driver to take us Puerto Barrios. We timed it to the T because from leaving Guatemala City to go to Livingston, those are all red zones, so we can't be there, right, except to go pee and stuff like that, so what happened was, is that it's only one lane two, a Chiquita banana truck flipped over in the road, and there, we were stuck there for hours, and we were stuck in this town called Morales, it's in eastern part of Guatemala, and those are the times where I looked at our driver and I felt bad for him because he had to go back to Guatemala City, which was like five plus hours oh, away. Oh man. Just, and he has, he has, that's his business, right? It's tourism transport. So what we did was like, we all gave, you know, pitched in and bought him like food. I went to some random lady's house and was like, hi, senor, you know, doña, um, can I use your bathroom please? I will pay you three quetzales. And she was like, oh, it's free. Go for it. And then, because I was that person in my group of friends, then we all used the bathroom. And it was getting close to 11 p.m. And that's when we called the safety and security manager of our post. And our bus driver was like, okay, like, I'm just going to leave you guys. um, You guys will figure this out getting back. Because we had to get the Puerto virus. We were still not there, right? <laughs> so, so what happened in the end was that the safety and security manager talked to our driver. And our driver found a car, another tourist bus company that was heading to Puerto Barrios, and we got on their van. um, And luckily, we stayed at a hotel in Puerto Barrios that night. But we got to that hotel location 1 a.m. So we were stranded for a very long time. Um, I don't know how we did. It's just like those moments where we're like, okay, we're in a group of friends. This is a red zone. What do we do? We have to be mindful. But people come together in the weirdest circumstances, like me trying to Talked to the lady to let me use her bathroom. My, f- it's so weird. Like my friend, um, asked this guy because he was selling coconuts from his truck. Don't know why, and we all got coconuts. <laughs> so it's like this would only have like transportation was something that it's so like you take that for granted in the United States. Like so many things could go wrong, and in this case, we were stranded for a while. It was crazy.
1: Wow, but at the end, you guys had a great vacation.
2: Oh, yeah, totally worth it. The next day we woke up early, we took the boat to Livingston. And it was a great vacation and coming back was was great. That's one of my favorite places in Guatemala. It's a melting pot of cultures, indigenous folks, Garifuna folks, um, Mestit Ladinos. Such a beautiful place. I definitely recommend visiting there.
1: Um, Is there any maybe one or two moments that were just like OMG moments, an event where you were so happy that you were a volunteer?
2: Yeah, there was many moments where you question why you're there, then foster syndrome kicks in for real. But I think the main one that we did, a group of volunteers and I um and our work partners and NGOs came together to organize the first ever um I guess, province departmental student health promoter camp. So imagine like a statewide student camp type of thing, um, the equivalency to it. And it was just such a proud moment because all the work partners got it together. We found funding because, you know, in Peace Corps, you can apply for grants to cover some projects, but Peace Corps provided like a little bit, not too much. And that's how it's supposed to be for capacity building sustainability. So It was just such a beautiful experience to see all the NGOs and our work partners organize the agenda, create the tailoring sessions for this two day camp for the kids. So it was all student health promoter groups from different primary schools across the department. And they came to the capital city of the department um, for two day, one night, um, I guess, team building, um, leadership development, and resource management for schools. And it was such a beautiful experience, like seeing the kids, and we had um like um, little tents and and sleeping bags for the kids to enjoy that as well. And it was mostly indigenous kids, and it was so beautiful because I think the moment that I was so proud was when one of the facilitators from Ojéné was, oh, if you don't speak Spanish, that's okay. We're all we all here are bilingual, and we can we can translate for you. That was just such an affirming, like, oh, yes, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, supporting the community and affirming what they really need to to be to to succeed in this camp. Um, So that made me really happy.
0: I think that was one of the highlights. So what exactly did the kids do during this project? It sounds like an amazing camp, but what did they have to do? You know, I don't know
2: how other posts do this, but in Guatemala, we have this um, project design management leadership um, training, um, for work partners and you, but we like did a mini version for the student health promoter group. So they learn how to design a project, like, let's say how to do trainings on good nutrition, right? So we would teach them those skills for the kids to learn alongside their advisor or their lead teacher supporting that group for them to implement it back to their school. So the idea is, um, we teach you how to design a project, you're going to implement it, And then you're going to go back to your school and do an activity, monitor, report it, evaluate it, and see where it goes. So it was like kind of like a cool activity for the kids. It was mostly like fifth and sixth graders who got the opportunity to learn that alongside their teachers.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Was there anything in place to see that the kids were actually conducting this once they left the camp or anything like that? So that was the idea
2: that um, the Healthy School Departmental Commission was going to monitor um, post-camp activities. But this is like a sad moment of my service. My work partner passed away unexpectedly, and he was the president of that departmental commission. And that kind of just made everything not work after my service, not during my service, excuse me. So that was the idea for that work partner licenciado hugo to go to these schools and follow up on what they learned from the camp what are they doing but he died
1: it is a bummer
2: yeah i was like really sad and i felt i went to his funeral which is like awful because i'm like okay what am i supposed to do now but there was like another good work partner that i have who's a friend of mine audi and she kept it going but but without the lead head everything just like shattered
0: so now let's talk about food since you lived with the host family, did you eat all your meals with your host sister or what did you do for food on a usual basis?
2: I cooked my own food and when I say cooked food, I mostly spend money eating outside. <laughs> my host sister, um, her aunt cooked for her and she offered me to make meals, but I never really liked her. So I was like, I don't want to eat your food. I can just go out and make friends. So that's what I did. So my host sister suggested, hey, there's Doña Maria. I think that's her name. I don't remember. But it was on Doña. And she makes meals for everybody who works here. You should go have lunch with her. And that's what I did three times a week. I would go eat with her. She was super nice. She's such a good cook. Never gave me GI issues. So you know she was a good cook. That's important. And she made really good like soups and um, stews. She made her own homemade tortillas. So that was really nice. Um, Her chiles, her spice, everything was amazing. And I would pay her and I came, I became like a known customer in her little because she made everything at her home so you would walk in at her home and sit in a table and that's where the restaurant would be that was the spot so she got used to me and that's where I made I became really good
0: friends with her and her and her grandkids yeah so it kind of worked out <laughs> did you have a favorite dish that you like to eat and did you learn how to cook it um no <laughs> It's so much effort.
2: <laughs> I think my favorite thing that she made was this recado, which is like recado can mean so many different things, but it's like a stew based um, pork where I guess she fried the pork and she put like this like base like sauce. So I think of like Mexican food sometimes how it's like the mole is something similar, but yet different. And with like your side of small rice and your tortilla, she makes and with a ton of chile for sure. I would just spice it up a lot. such a good cook.
0: (laughs) So was there happen to be a chore that you had to do? You had this like amazing bougie place. So what kind of chores did you have to do? Or was there something that like you really loved to do or you just really disliked doing? Listen, friends, I'm all about empowering women
2: (laughs) and entrepreneurship development. So I try to wash my clothes once and never again. It's a pila. I don't know. If you've seen a pila, but it's, like, this giant cement. And in the middle, it's, like, stagnant water. And the two sides are for scrubbing. So my host family had a giant pila, my host sister, because in my site water scarcity is an issue. So I did it once, and I was like, this took me a day. I can just pay somebody. No. So I paid the lady across the street. Um She was really nice. She came every week to wash my clothes, and I would pay her well. So, yeah, that's how I washed my clothes. My bathroom... um my host sister hired somebody to come clean the house every week. So I just, <laughs> I didn't clean my bathroom at all throughout my service because we had that support. I was only responsible for my bedroom, but that was such a mess. Like I had piles of clothes. I didn't ever clean. Why am I going to clean? Like I, Oh my God. I... That was the only thing the chore I would say is like the washing dishes because my host sister was pretty strict about that. Like if you cook, you're supposed to wash your dishes. But I have this thing where I'll put it in the dish, you know, the sink and I'll come and I'll come back to it later. But she was like very like, anal about that. She would get so mad at me if I didn't wash my dish right away. And I was like, oh, you're so annoying. But okay, fine.
1: That's how my mom was. She's changed because she just got tired of being so strict about cleanliness and whatever. Sometimes she's a little bit more relaxed, but sometimes she's really like, like a drill sergeant.
2: <laughs> also, like, it's hard to like wash dishes when you don't have hot water in retrospect. And I lived in a very high altitude, so it was really cold at night. <laughs> so like washing in cold water is not fun, but I had to do it or else she would get mad at me.
1: Was your whole sister older?
2: So when I was in service, I was 26. My host sister was like 32. So she was like an older sister, let's put it that way. I, we were always like college. She would be like Cereza Mayor and I would be Cereza Menor because I was that younger. She's she's an only child, so I'm like a younger sister for her that irritates her. I'm like, let's hang out. <laughs> uh, my site was so bougie that she bought like the smart TV i had netflix on my site um
1: what this is a whole different level gladys like you are taking bougie to like to the very top
2: i know i was pretty i was pretty privileged and i'm glad that i used my power to host my friends who needed like a break or something host parties for my friends but it was a really beautiful experience using the netflix because i got to show my host sister Korean soap drama so we bonded
0: over that Wow, that's really cool that you got to share that with your host sister. That's a really new, unique experience that I'm sure like many people aren't able to have, um, unless they like you know brought it on a hard drive or something. But I was wondering now, let's kind of switch gears. Uh, what how was it like doing long distance dating? Because you said that you were with your now husband throughout the whole time, so what was that like?
2: This is such an interesting question. Um no, I for all the volunteers out there, if you're listening to this and you're doing a long distance, come to me, please. <laughs> Unlike my family, my spouse identifies as Cuban American, so he was not scared for me going. He was the most supportive individual. Um, at that time, we lived in San Diego, so for him to get to Guatemala was pretty easy traveling wise. Um, like I said, I had the privilege of having internet all the time. We talked all the time. My spouse identifies as an introvert, and I'm not. So I think his solitude was nice, but he did come to see me a lot, like twice I think he visited, but my leave was used on going to the States a lot. So the joke in my cohort was like, if... If I'm going to the States, send something to my home address and I'll get it back to you. <laughs> because I was always in the States visiting my, my significant other. That's just how it worked. As far as like, he makes income. So he had the luxury of paying for me to fly out. And nobody can just do that, right? And the fact that Guatemala is closer. One time we met up in Miami and it took a two-hour flight. So (laughs) I really woke up. I was in my side and I would be in Miami in the afternoon. Yeah. So it was like things like that that made it doable and a lot of communication and trust. I feel that he saw me through my worst in service and there were so many low periods for sure. But that constant support um, was so gratifying and feeling seen and loved for who I am, you know, because I know that there was people in my cohort who had long distance relationships that I would end quickly because sometimes it's hard for a significant other who doesn't understand points of reference of the culture we're going through, right? So because my spouse visited a few times, he understand that, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm in refa time, which is like my snack time that employees do for like a few hours a day. And he's like, oh, okay, how's it going? What did you do today? And he also came to my community to visit. And he's like, oh, you're fine. I'm not worried about you. (laughs) Same same theme. But it really worked out really well. My friends got to meet him. Great person. Now we're married. No kids right now. But everything's going great. So, yeah.
1: Can I ask you something? Because you said you went to the States sort of often throughout your service, right? Um, how did you manage your time with Peace Corps? Because we only get a certain amount of kind of vacation days. So how do you were you able to like come to terms with Peace Corps and they allowing you to travel so much?
2: So I wouldn't leave my site unless like to save my my annual leave. So we're allowed, I think 24 a year or is it 12 a year
0: yeah it's two days a month so 24
2: so yeah so i would try to save as much as possible and like i mentioned if he was in miami i it's a quick flight like i can go for like a thursday monday type of thing um but i would try to save it as much as possible or he came to visit me i would just play it out well and i was very smart when i took my leave so our school year is from mid january until october so everything dies after October. So I kind of just hanged out around my host community or he would come in, you know, when I took like a couple of days off um, or I would visit. Yeah, it just has to work. I What I try to do was not go on leave when it was a school year, unless I had to. Like I had to go to Miami for my brother's wedding and that was mid-June, which is like mid school year, but I had to go. But that was the only time that I recall.
1: Well, yeah, being so close makes it easier. Imagine in Madagascar coming to the States for like, <laughs> we would have spent all of our days just in a plane going back and forth and that would have been the end of it. Disclaimer, my dog is still again with me and today he's barking. So if you hear a uh, dog in the background, it's my dog again. I can't get rid of him. I don't they just drop him off at the house and I just didn't know that he was here until he started barking. I'm like, who's that dog? <laughs> like, who is this? It's my dog. <laughs> so, sorry. <laughs> um, Gladys, at the beginning you mentioned that you have your um, undergrad in public health and also your MPH. After coming back from Peace Corps and having that education, do you think Peace Corps somehow uh Advance you professionally was it like a good boost to your resume in certain way or do you feel like it didn't really make any any difference in your career
2: yeah totally i think in my career i've always worked in um vulnerable populations either lgbtq communities trans communities um monolingual spanish speakers living in peace corps um i think peace corps definitely teaches you a set of skills mainly flexibility and adaptability that comes into play in U.S. work settings. Um, I think definitely having the education and ex- international development experience, definitely as a candidate in the Boston area, that's where I reside, makes you a desired applicant, right? Because in a lot of different cities where, for example, like New York or D.C., where it's like very competitive to get a job, um, having these experiences sets you apart. So yeah, so it kind of worked out for me <laughs> finding a job in Boston, but I think definitely the skills in Peace Corps, flexibility, adaptability, um, returning to the U.S. and seeing the very mundane culture. Some people are just not flexible and adaptable, and we get very creative in service. So the skills that you learn in Peace Corps are those two, um, resourcefulness and creativity, because you come up with some things with limited amount. Like, you only have $5,000 for a budget for a holiday party. And in, in Guatemala, you're like, Oh my God, I can make like a, I can contract these bands in the U.S. settings. They're like, we're, they're freaking out. And you're like, we can figure this out. Like, calm down. <laughs> we can make tamales. We can do something super cute, super nice. Um, homey. It's just, it's just very interesting when those, all that you have learned and lived through translates into your career.
1: Yeah, that's so true. Do you have any advice for people who are listening to our podcast and thinking, oh, maybe Peace Corps is a way for me to go?
2: Um, yes, we need more representation in Peace Corps. And when I say this, we need more people who are part of the LGBTQ community, who are trans, gender nonconforming, gender expansive individuals. We need more people of color, indigenous, black, brown Um, And people who are also older or mid-career, if you want to take a break and do Peace Corps, you have the right to do it because I am tired of this agenda where it's just mostly like young white college students going to service. And that's not the case. Like, I'm a woman of color. I am a Latina. And there are things that I'm glad that I showed my community about my Peruvian American culture. So I definitely recommend anybody who is from a diverse background to definitely apply because it's not just like the U.S. I think that bothered me a lot (laughs) throughout my service. A lot of people didn't think I thought I was white when I'm not. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I totally relate to you in, in in that fact. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And also people who have different body shapes, like I'm a plus size girl. I'm thick and I'm beautiful, but There's definitely a theme to that in my community where I served. Um, yeah. There may be a lot of fat shaming, but that's okay. But I took it as like, it's fine. We'll do some education later if I need to. But, um, from what I saw from the lens is like, I'm pretty privileged to have a good nutritious meals. And some of my community members may or may not understand that. And that's okay. Um, but I encourage everybody to sign up if you want to learn skills put yourself out there, you should do it. But like I said, please apply. We need more diversity. <laughs> we really do.
0: You know, I really want to say thank you for bringing up diversity as part of your advice, because I personally am working on really bringing that awareness in my current employer because I am part of like the diversity and inclusion area with learning and development. And it's been such a fun journey and so needed. Like just hearing the conversations that people have within the programs that I help facilitate. But I just want to say like, thank you so much for like really bringing that up that Peace Corps does need to like work on that and that we do want more people to come and apply in very diverse backgrounds. So for your cohort, would you say that you had a pretty diverse cohort? It kind of seems like before you mentioned it a little bit, but what was your cohort like?
2: Well, for sure. I think in my cohort, my friends were black, queer, um latinx um older adults mid-career folks it was like the most diverse group i think i have i had the privilege to serve with them but i do hear this story where a woman of color of mine rpcb from Swaziland, she was the only woman of color in her cohort and that is like a horrifying experience because there's something she had to teach her fellow volunteers and that gets really tiring sometimes um, but I think Peace Corps is making movements to reform diversity, equity, and inclusion practices. They definitely in the past year have been um, promoting service to HBCU schools and Hispanic serving institutions. So there still needs to be a little bit more work done for sure. And it also depends on the post. Like, I know in my post, we had um, the diversity circle where, which is volunteer led where POC, LGBTQ folks, would come in once a month to just, like, process some things that may have happened in sight where you necessarily just just need an outlet to you to be affirmed by your friends who resonate with your experience. So that went really well, but it took a long time to get the post approved by it just because of, you know, safety reasons, logistics, and all of that, so.
1: Yeah, I kind of appreciate Guatemala been so... Uh, with the committee that you were uh, referring to, like, you know, being supportive? Because I think by the time we got to Madagascar, they were trying to start something like that, but it was just moving so slowly. Do you remember that, Selena, that they were trying to create like this diversity committee, but it was just like dragging, like...
0: Yeah, we had like a diversity committee that was starting during our time in Madagascar, but it never really launched So I remember there being some meetings or they would do something, but it kind of was like this small little group and they were trying to get more like leeway and stuff. But peace, like it was more of just the volunteers. It wasn't like a Peace Corps initiative or anything. So, yeah, unfortunately, it like didn't really get that big. But like as we were there, I think it started to get some traction. So I really don't know, though. I mean, I hope after like COVID and everything opens up, I hope that maybe when people do go out there again, like it'll become a thing like that would be really cool.
2: Yeah, I hope they do too, like volunteer-led initiatives are the most, I think for me, the most significant in Peace Corps service because you have a group to process some things or just discuss some items of what's happening in the U.S., but definitely, um, if anybody's out there, any current RPCV that wants divert, hit me up, hit me up. I believe the previous volunteers, the previous cohort created um, trainings on how to facilitate in Spanish to your work partners, what's microaggression which is something so important. Because I think in Latinx culture, people, from my experience, they tend to like be like, oh, but you're black, you're they tend to categorize you in that way. So I hate it when I was introduced as Peruvian American, like Peruvian. And I'm like, well, that's not part of my whole identity. But how, how can I politely talk about this with my work partner from without being so condescending about it, you know? If anybody wants those trainings, hit me up. I think there's so much work to be done and supporting volunteers for sure.
1: I really appreciated the, you know, the whole diversity because I don't think we never had chance to open up the, the little box. And it's important to mention it. We're not trying to politicize our podcast, but those are issues that I think are important to like, you know, even mention. So thank you so much for bringing that up. And I really enjoyed your story and uh, how bougie your side and your service was (laughs) because it was just fun, you know, because, like, it's hard to accept that because you, when you sign for Peace Corps, you're thinking you're taking bucket showers and, like, using a latrine, and then you do get to have this look kind of quote-unquote luxury uh, uh, life. And, I mean, you shouldn't feel bad about it, but sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, that doesn't really count as service because you had all this add-ons. But still, you did have your service. You did have a great uh, experience in Guatemala. So thank you for coming and sharing your tale with us. It was really, really fun. So thank you so much.
0: Yes, Gladys. Thank you so much for being one of our interviews. It was a blast just hearing about like the difficulty of living with a a roommate in a sense with like an older sister that you kind of went through. Just your experience of like being in a bougie site and like long distance relationships. So I really do want to say like I appreciate you being here and thank you so much for being on our show.
2: Yeah, thank you, guys. This has been really, thank you, y'all, correction. Thank you so much for supporting this. Um, Anybody hit me up, XO. (laughs) Besitos.
0: To all our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you're an RPCV and want to be an interviewee, just like Gladys, please go to our website at www.peacetalespodcast.weebly.com. And there is an interest form that you can fill out and we'll contact you in a short manner. Also, if you want to connect with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. I hope you have a great morning, evening, night, or whenever you listen to this. Bye. Veilume.
1: Okay. Thank you so much to our listeners. And Amini Manara kakua saramandia.